The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10 Father, please remind me of the dreams you have placed in my heart. Just as Ezekiel spoke to the dry bones, I speak to all the dreams that have died too soon. And I declare that today is the day they will be resurrected. Today they will be restored. Dead visions, dead strategies, the dead alliances must also be brought back to life. You are making everything new, God, and my greatest days are still ahead of me. I won't settle for anything less than your best for me. Father, my weapons of war are not carnal, not physical, but spiritual and supernatural. They are powerful in your hands, capable of destroying all strongholds. I remind principalities and powers that they have no right to interfere with my life because I am covered by your covenant. I belong to you. You have made me more than a conqueror, a mighty warrior in you. Every tongue that speaks lies will be silenced, and your truth will be revealed. I know that the enemy of my soul tries to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give me life, abundant life in Him. I choose to live in that abundant life today. Thank you, God, that I'm experiencing that abundant life even now. And so is everyone connected to me. It's a done deal. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, your host for Heroes in the Bible. If you've been enjoying this series, please write a review and let me know how this podcast has impacted your life. Welcome to the Epic Adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. In this episode, we follow Saul in the battle. He and Jonathan march valiantly against the united Philistine horde and meet their inevitable doom. In episode 15, Saul visited a witch to conjure the spirit of Samuel. This spirit, whether it was Samuel or not, told Saul that this would be the end. This episode is meant to give us mixed emotions. King Saul has been one of the main antagonists in this series, but his trajectory is tragic and we can't help but pity his mental and emotional decline. I challenge you to have the heart of David in this episode. Do not revel in the king's death. Mourn him. 
and what his death means for the nation. He represents many people who, for no fault of their own, are inappropriately elevated and worshipped. Saul is in many ways a villain, but he's also a victim, a victim to the social and cultural pressures of leadership and the corruption of pride. In order to acquaint ourselves with the tragedy of Saul, we will go back to his coronation as king. Our preludes are typically told from the perspective of other characters in Scripture, but this one goes right back to Saul's beginning when the skies opened up and damned his reign. Saul's rise was quick and his decline was just as fast. His character arc represents the inevitable rise and fall of every king. No matter how noble, how fierce in battle, or how wise they are, all kings fall short of the glory of God. It is the destiny of every man to fail, which is why the majesty of Christ is all the more glorious to us. Without further ado, here is Saul's final episode, The Death of a King. Prelude to Chapter 17 You desired a man to save you, Samuel yelled at the people. Well, here he stands before you. The Lord has given you the desires of your heart. If you will fear God and serve him, if you will obey his voice and refuse to rebel as your forefathers, if you and your new king follow him and him alone, all will be well. But take heed, my children. The pride of the heart is more powerful than you know. God will resist the rebellious and arrogant heart. If you go against him, he will be against you and your king. The sky had turned completely dark, and the wind began to pick up tremendously behind Samuel. The people began to stir. The weather was unsettling. It seemed to match the mood of Samuel. His words clearly reflected the heart of God. Stand and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Samuel said with a trumpeting voice, Thunder and rain shall go before you, and you shall know truly what you have done has grieved the heart of God. As Samuel said this, lightning struck down behind him. The cypress tree behind him erupted in flames. Then, as if the floodgates of heaven were opened, rain poured out from the clouds. Thunder shook the earth, and rain began to fall down like arrows onto the people below. The people were fearful that the Lord would strike them down. They cried out, saying, Pray for us, Samuel! We have added to all the sins of our fathers! Samuel shook his head and sighed. You have nothing to fear, he said with the wind at his back. Continue in the paths of the Lord with all your heart. Do not cling to the empty things that cannot satisfy you. They are empty and weak. The Lord will not forsake his people. He is great, and it pleases him to make you his people. It gives him joy to protect you. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin by ceasing to pray for you. I will still be here to instruct and guide you. I will give counsel offer prayers, and make sacrifices on behalf of the people and God's armies. The wind began to subside for a moment, and the rain had drowned out the flames caused by the lightning. All that remained were wet coals, barely flickering. Samuel's voice was soft now and weary. He looked down at them and said, Fear the Lord, and serve him faithfully with all your heart. 
Consider and remember the great things He has done for you. Yet the warning remains. If wickedness prevails in your hearts, you and your king shall be swept away. The people left wet and contemplative. It was not the coronation Saul had in mind. As the people left, Saul remained there silently looking at Samuel from a distance. A small part of him was angry at the interruption. He did not know whether Samuel supported him as king reluctantly or if he was actively praying against him. A spark of spite simmered deeply in Saul's heart. He ignored it and put on a smile as he approached Samuel. The two of them left Gilgal to prepare and establish the kingdom. Chapter 17 Death of a King Saul sat by the fire, wrapping himself in fur. He could see his breath in the cold air floating up into the cloudless night sky. The fire cracked and simmered. Its heat was a pleasant presence on such an unforgiving night. One of the logs fell to the side of the fire, away from the flames. The radiating heat slowly began to dissipate from the wood. Saul watched the red and orange hue emanating from the logs slowly fade and disappear. His heart ached at the sight of it, although he did not know why. Jonathan sat on the other side of the fire, studying his father. He had not spoken since his return from Endor. He was like a ghost, simply floating in a space without any aim or purpose. It saddened Jonathan to watch his father's descent over the years. Ever since he banished David, King Saul's heart and passion had disappeared like the heat of a coal away from the fire. The young prince interrupted the silence and called his father out of his mind. My king, Jonathan said. We march at first light. What are your orders for the men? Saul looked away from the fire and up at his son. He opened his mouth to speak, but there was nothing for him to say. The spirit of Samuel had spoken through the witch of Endor. This would be the day that he dies. Saul shook his head and returned his gaze to the flame. Jonathan pursed his lips and shook his head. The Philistines will not wait for you, father. They march against us tomorrow whether we are ready or not. Will you lead us? Saul said nothing in response. His heart and soul ached. He was filled with quiet and painful regret at the state of his life. However, Jonathan would not allow him to simply sulk. He left his seat, crouched in front of his father, and looked him in the eye. Has the king already died? His words cut through Saul like a sharp blade. The father and son exchanged painful gazes, both unwilling to say what was on both of their minds. They both knew that this battle would be their last. Saul cleared his throat and patted his son on the shoulder. He conceded, and the two spoke of strategy for the next hour. At first light, they would march. At first light, the army of Israel gathered on Mount Gilboa. The rocky mountains surrounded a deep valley of lush grass below. All was still and quiet for a small moment. The newly risen sun kissed the earth below, and the cold ground basked in the warm rays of new light. Saul turned his face to the sun, enjoying the brief tranquility. For a moment, Saul's cold and hardened heart felt the gentle and loving presence of his creator. Like a single drop of cold water to a desert flower, it was all he needed. A small smile rose from the sides of Saul's mouth. He lowered his gaze to the valley below. The stillness of the morning was interrupted by quakes in the earth below Saul's feet. The ground was shaking, and Saul looked to the other side of the valley at the horde of Philistines approaching. 
They were like a swarm of locusts covering the sun. Saul's heart began to beat harder and harder as he scanned the vast army. Jonathan stood 200 yards to Saul's left with another group of skilled soldiers and his two brothers Abinadab and Malkishua behind him. He would go around the side and flank the enemy. However, Saul feared it would do them no good. The United Philistine army stretched wide for nearly a quarter mile. Saul pulled out his sword and drew a deep breath. He stood upon a stone elevated above his men. Do not let them see your fear, Saul thought to himself. They need a king, not a coward. The king puffed out his chest and raised his sword high in the air. Out of Saul's mouth came a bellowing cry of war. He screamed with every ounce of pent-up rage in his body. The men raised their swords in return, shouting an anthem of war back to their king. Without any word or prayer, Saul turned to the battlefield and began his march. Although age had taken Saul's youthful strength, he still loomed ahead larger than every other man. The king's size alone was enough to contend with the Philistines coming his way. He swung with broad strokes, wiping out two Philistines with one blow. Many Israelite soldiers ran past their king to protect him. They fought with fire in their bellies and passion in their hearts. However, it did not take long for the Philistines to force their will against the king and his men. Bodies began falling at an unmanageable rate. With each passing minute, defeat seemed all too likely. However, Saul would not retreat or surrender. This was their last stand against the Philistines. His legacy as king would be defined by this moment. He would not bow down. On the other side of the battlefield, Jonathan and his chosen warriors charged against the enemy flank. Jonathan's renowned speed and agility lived up to its reputation. He sliced through the first line of Philistines with ease. Their advances were well-timed and well-rehearsed as they made their way to the back of the Philistine army. That is where the kings were. Never before had Jonathan fought so ferociously. His pace was unmatched by any Philistine coming after him. Before they could even prepare an attack, he ran past them with a swift blow to the neck or leg. Saul's other sons, Abinadab and Malkishua, were in pursuit behind him. The kings were surrounded by dozens of well-trained guards, armed with spears and shields. Jonathan was the first to reach them, leaping into one of the men's shields and knocking him down on his back. Jonathan's men launched themselves forward as well, creating a frenzy among the guards. Spears and swords clashed, and Jonathan raged at the guards, desperately trying to get to the kings. Abinadab ran at one of the guards but was met with a spear to his belly. Jonathan looked back as his brother fell to the ground. Jonathan yelled. He ran towards his fallen brother, only to be knocked down by an enemy shield. Jonathan rolled in the dirt, dodging the thrusts of the Philistine spear. When the enemy spear was thrust into the dirt, Jonathan grabbed it and kicked forward, knocking him on his back. He then thrust the spear into the guard's throat, killing him instantly. The prince looked over to his other brother, Malkishua. He was surrounded by four guards. Before Jonathan could reach him to help, Malkishua had four spears lodged into his stomach and side. Jonathan yelled with broken passion. He ran towards the four guards and killed every single one of them. Philistine blood soaked his royal armor. As Jonathan stood over his brother's mangled body, four chariots ridden by Philistine kings began riding towards him. Jonathan looked back and breathed in deeply. He held his sword up to the oncoming chariots. 
His gaze was filled with pain and sorrow. The son of the king composed himself, studied his breathing, and prepared for the attack. All was still for a moment. The battle raging around him, the galloping of horses, and the raging of kings seemed to be held quietly in time. Jonathan looked up to the heavens, at peace with his God. He had served him faithfully, and knew, despite what may happen to him, the kingdom of Israel would be held securely in the Lord's hands. David would be king, and the nation would live to fight another day. Jonathan set his feet forward and ran towards the chariot. He delivered a blow to the horse of the first chariot, causing it to fall off balance. The other chariot rode fast out, but Jonathan was able to launch a stone in the wheels, breaking it to pieces. Finally, another chariot came forward, and with one swoop of his sword, slashed Jonathan on the chest. The prince fell back and cried out in pain. His legs trembled as he stood to his feet, gripping his wound in one hand and sword in the other. He stepped forward to fight back, but one of the Philistine kings knocked him back down. The last thing he saw was four swords of Philistine kings coming down. The warrior prince was slain. Saul continued his advance on the other side of the battlefield. His bones ached from the fighting, and his aged body was growing weary, yet he continued to fight. However, with every step he took forward, more of his men were slain. The thousands of Israelites that marched up against the Philistines had been dwindled down to mere hundreds, and many were beginning to retreat. The king continued with labored breathing and heavy steps, but he knew that he could no longer fight. He turned his back from the battle towards a covering of stones beside the hill. His armor bearer fought beside him, slaying every Philistine that came up against him. The two finally made their way to the covering and rested near the large stones. Hidden from the battle, Saul tried to steady his labored breathing. Regret filled his heart once again, and he considered the sad state of his final hours. He had spent far too much time campaigning against David, when he should have been protecting his people. He had let his guard down, and the Philistines had grown more powerful while he hunted shadows of his own shame. This was his final chance to redeem his sullied name. Saul gripped his sword tightly and came out from behind the stone. As he showed himself, an archer landed a perfect shot to Saul's chest. Saul screamed and fell to his knees. The arrow sunk in deeply to his right lung. His armor bear grabbed Saul and dragged him behind the stones. The wounded king gasped for air and clasped at his armor bear. Draw your sword! The king stammered. Kill me now, before the Philistines take me. I will not be the man who slayed the king! The armor bear protested. Kill me, before they take me and torture me! Saul winced in pain. He could barely breathe. Kill me! He begged but the armor-bearer refused. Saul shoved him back and drew his own sword. He looked up to the heavens. It was as Samuel predicted. This was truly the day he would die. The king held his sword out to his chest with trembling hands. Tears streamed down his face. He shook his head and closed his eyes. Memories of regret and pain flooded his mind. He remembered his coronation how the heavens opened up and lightning burst from the heavens. He remembered Samuel's rage that the people had called for a king. His reign was doomed from the beginning. 
He was an idol held up by the people, a golden calf. Like all false gods, he had disappointed his worshippers. He had fallen short of the call God gave him. It was fitting for him to die at the hand of the Philistines. They represented the evil he could not quite defeat within himself. Like his own inner demons, victory against them had always eluded him. Yet he knew there was one who could rise above it all. A warrior sent by God who was able to slay both inner and outer enemies. He would be king when Saul died. He would lead them like Saul never could. The fall of King Saul would be the rise of King David. So the king pressed his sword against his chest and fell forward. As the king hit the ground, the sword went straight through his heart. The first king of Israel had died. Chaos followed the death of Saul and his sons. The nearby Israelite cities were overrun by Philistines. Those who had not fled were taken captive, and the borders of Israel near the Jordan had become Philistine territory. They had taken Saul's body along with his sons and beheaded them. They paraded the heads like trophies, sending them far and wide to Philistine cities. They made a mockery of the king and his princes. They put Saul's armor in the temple of their idols and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. However, the people of Jabesh Gilead would not allow the king's body to be mocked in such a way. They remembered his march against the Philistines when they were attacked. It was his first act as king. So the brave men of Jabesh Gilead arose and went to Bethshan in the dead of night. They retrieved the bodies of Saul and his sons and took them back to be burned and mourned properly. The fire consumed Saul's body. The coals cracked and simmered around him. The flames rose up into the sky, burning into the night. It was the longest fire Saul was ever able to keep burning. The reign of Saul was a message of struggle, torment, and anguish. From the very beginning, he was a representation of man's attempt to build up for themselves a kingdom apart from God. His paranoid and selfish campaigns against David showcased the fragility of man's ego. Yet in the midst of all human struggle, God is still at work and moving. Despite their rejection of him, God would not abandon his people. He had raised up a hero for them, a king to reign righteously and humbly. Yet even David was capable of falling. David's reign as king would be but a small shadow of an even greater king to come. The Good Shepherd, foretold since the beginning of mankind. The Christ. God will resist the rebellious and arrogant heart. This was a resounding truth in the life of King Saul. From the very beginning, his reign was wrought with pride, compromise, and anxiety. Every warning Saul gave the people in the prelude turned out to manifest itself in Saul's life. We watched it happen from 16 episodes. His steady decline in the madness left us begging for his rule to end. This episode provides us with closure as Saul finally comes to grips with how far he's fallen. I suppose knowing the time and place of your death will cause you to contemplate your life. Saul is more reflective in this episode. This is the most sober his mind has been since the day of his coronation. This episode is a warning for us to not wait too long to truly reflect on the state of our hearts. If Saul had truly examined himself sooner, he could have salvaged his legacy. 
At the end, the king had a moment of sobriety and thought about his life. He remembered his coronation, how the heavens opened up and lightning burst from the heavens. His reign was doomed from the beginning. He was an idol held up by the people, a golden calf. Like all false gods, he had disappointed his worshipers. He had fallen short of the call God gave him. It was fitting for him to die at the hands of the Philistines. They represented the evil he could never quite defeat within himself. Like his own inner demons, victory against them had always eluded him. Yet he knew there was one who could rise above it all, a warrior sent by God who was able to slay both inner and outer enemies. This final reflection from Saul is for you and I. So often in life, our outer struggles are manifestations of our inner struggles. Saul raged against the Philistines, but could never quite seize victory over them. He could never be the hero he wanted to be because he didn't realize the first battle that needed to be won was within him. Calm the storm within, and the storm without will seem a lot less terrifying. Saul's death is not the majestic and noble end all kings imagine for themselves. He died an inglorious death, ending his own life so he wouldn't be embarrassed by the Philistines. Even at the end, Saul's pride drove his decisions. In this episode, the king's frayed character is once again put in contrast to Jonathan's. The warrior prince and beloved friend of David fights till the very end and meets a noble end. His death comes as a bigger surprise to us in this episode and grieves us more. Jonathan's life represents a different kind of disappointment. The philosopher King Solomon would later on write, Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Solomon's reflection is depressing but spot on. Death comes to the righteous and the unrighteous, the brave and the cowardly, the good and the evil. We do not mourn Saul's death in the same way we mourn Jonathan's. The prince was nothing like the king, and it seems like robbery to have him die too early. But that is death. It is a great equalizer and eventually comes for all of us. Most of us are uncertain about how and when we will die, but we are certain of death's eventuality. This reality can cause many people to fall into nihilism, but Christ's triumph over death gives us a grander view. We are sober in our consideration of death, but it does not have the final say for those that have put faith in Jesus. After considering the impartiality of death, Solomon encourages his readers with this, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you work under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the grave to which you are going. Jonathan and Saul both knew that time was coming. While Saul was left paralyzed, Jonathan was invigorated. Our time is short on earth. Let's make every minute matter. This episode is filled with profound imagery, specifically around the coals of the flame. Do you remember Samuel's original question to Saul? 
Are you able to keep the coals burning? The coals have always represented the heart of man and its proximity to the Lord. The closer the coals are to the flame, the longer they burn. Saul forgot to tend to the coals of his heart. He stayed from God and burnt out. In this episode, the coals are mentioned a few times. Saul's heart aches when he watches a coal lose its heat, but he doesn't know why. This represents how disconnected he is from his roots. David has people around him to remind him of his calling, thus keeping his coals burning in the flame. Saul, however, had pushed away everyone who kept him accountable. King Saul's heart and passion had disappeared like the heat of a coal away from its fire. At the end, his body is burned, and it was the longest fire Saul was ever able to keep burning. The story of Saul proved to be more valuable than the life of Saul. Millions of people like you and I are able to extract meaning and messages from his life. Therefore, in his death, he was able to accomplish more than his life. The era of Saul has come to a close, and now it is time for King David to rule. The temptation is to assume his reign will be more noble than Saul's, but we should not be so sure. The crown can corrupt noble characters, so David will have to cling to righteousness desperately if he wants to resist the pride of the throne. In our next episode, the exiled champion of Israel returns. Will he be accepted, or will the hatred of Saul linger? Find out next time in episode 18, A Sorrowful Coronation. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com. And to expand your Heroes in the Bible journey, download the Heroes of Faith devotional at TonyEvans.org forward slash heroes. Write a review and let us know how this podcast has impacted your life. God bless.